Hello and welcome back. I I apologize. That's just how I'm going to start this off. It's been a few weeks, I know, and all the hockey fans on the Unhinged Sports Network, I do apologize for missing the last few weeks. But, you know, I won't say that it wasn't for a good reason. The NFL draft has come and gone. Uh, and we had a lot of stuff, both just with the Far End of the Bench podcast and as with the Unhinged Sports Network, we had a lot of stuff that we were doing for that. So I took a couple weeks off from this show and uh, I ended up taking off probably the two most exciting weeks of the regular season so far. So I, for that, like I said, I apologize. And we are going to be talking about some some hockey. I mean, it's this is the more exciting time. We're about to get to playoff hockey, which is great. If I had video of this, you guys would see my weird, I shaved in weird facial hair because this is the last week that I'm going to have until I start growing my playoff beard with the avalanche. And hopefully I have to grow that out until the end of at least the middle of June. I'm not sure how long the hockey playoffs are going, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff to get to. Thank you guys for tuning in to the exclusive home of hockey talk on the unhinged sports network. Really appreciate you guys being here. I know that this show has become a little bit more popular over the last few weeks and uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that I do appreciate everybody tuning in, everybody following along with everything that we've been doing. It's been a lot of fun, especially for me. I, I do love hockey. I've, I've I've always been an Avalanche fan. I'm a diehard Colorado Avalanche fan. I grew up, I was born in 1997, so a year after they won their first cup. And then I actually got to see the Stanley Cup that they won in 2001, uh, just based on happenstance. My family has a close friend that was the uh, that was the strength and conditioning coach for the Avalanche when they won their second cup. So obviously this has been a fun experience for me, getting to talk to different people, um, going back to the first iteration of this show with those guys that are no longer affiliated with it and then coming back and all the great guests that I've had on, Griffin, Will, Hatzel from Beyond the Press Box, Nico, Jim, Dan from Time to BS. It's been a lot of fun. So I, I do appreciate you guys. Uh, tuning in and making sure that I'm not just sitting here talking to myself because honestly when you tell people that you have a podcast that's most of what people expect is that you're just sitting there talking to yourself but with all of that let's go ahead and let's talk about what's been happening recently in the world of the NHL like we said earlier this is uh, two for chirping the exclusive home for hockey talk on the unhinged sports network we are live on the Unhinged Sports Network, unhingedsn.airtime.pro, every single Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern with replays throughout the week. And just in the last month or so, we have been starting to release these network-exclusive shows after they're done playing on the actual network uh, on our Unhinged Sports Network feed. So if you have any kind of podcasting app that you guys listen to, you can go back and find some of the archive shows, not only of Two for Chirping, we also have Unhinged FC, excuse me, with Kelsey and Hector and Edward from Insert Name FC. Cover six, when NFL season comes back, we'll have that on that feed as well. And uh, High Heater, the baseball podcast that we're doing, is starting to get into the swing of things with all those guys. So be sure if you miss out on any part of this show and you miss out on the replays throughout the rest of the week, go back, listen to it on demand, because we, we do this for you guys. We're, we're sports fans just like you, and we have opinions that we know you guys do um, so we, we'd love to hear from you guys at Network Unhinged, Unhinged SN on Instagram, uh, or, you know, my personal Twitter at Jimmy Pilato or my podcast as well, Far End of the Bench. Uh, my co-host and I, Nico, are pretty big hockey fans. Obviously, we skew a little bit towards the avalanche, both of us. 
Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the business stuff out of the way first. So now let's let's get into the actual conversation. Uh, there's a couple different places that we can start, but since, like I mentioned, playoff hockey is coming up, let's go ahead. Let's look at some of these standings for the divisions and uh, possible matchups that we're going to be seeing in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, the most exciting playoff tournament in professional sports. I truly believe um, it's it came back last year and people were wondering in the bubble without fans, is it still going to be as intense? And turns out it was maybe even more intense because these guys were just so hungry to try and win that Stanley Cup. So let's talk about some of these standings. Uh, and we'll start, we'll just go down the line here. I'm looking at my ESPN app. So if you wanted to follow along, that's where you can look. I'm, I am recording this on May 6th. So the day before that you guys are able to hear this on the Unhinged Sports Network, that is the standings that we're looking at currently. And we're starting in the Central. A little bit of a surprise, not going to be not going to sit here and tell you that I did think that this is the way this division was going to work out. Uh, and there's a few different factors that kind of go into how this division sits right now. Top four, Carolina leading the division at 79 points four ahead of Tampa Bay and Florida, who are the second and third teams tied at 75. And then right around that fourth spot, at least right now it is Nashville, but Dallas is hanging around. They have a game in hand on the predators and then they are, uh, they're sitting at 56, Nashville holding down that fourth spot at 60 points. This has been, let's just say this, the Central Division is not lacking in some of the headlines that uh, will be talked about moving forward. Obviously with Tampa Bay, the defending Stanley Cup champions, the favorite by pretty much everybody to win this division and possibly even the favorite to go back and, and maybe be the first team to repeat as Stanley Cup champions since the 2016 and 2017 Pittsburgh Penguins, they they had a little bit of a rough patch. They they started off strong. Obviously, they have pretty much the same exact team that they did last year, winning the uh, winning the Stanley Cup. And that little rough patch of the season allowed Carolina to take over the lead. They right now. The record for Tampa Bay is sitting at 36-14 with three, 36 and 14 with three overtime losses. Uh, not terrible. I mean, honestly, in a regular season, that would probably equate to 50, 40, 40 to 45 wins on the season. But, you know, you got to look at teams like Carolina who are sitting at 36-10 and seven. Uh, that brings up some other questions that we might be able to get into a little bit later. But I still do think that Tampa Bay is the favorite to come out of this division after they get through the reseeding and everything like that for the final four teams left fighting for the Stanley Cup. But really the main storyline in this division is that Florida Panther team coached by Joe Quenville didn't have any expectations coming into this 2021 season. Um, you know, they're, they're a team, a franchise that has struggled mightily ever since entering the league. They were an expansion team way back when, went to the Stanley Cup final and lost to the Colorado Avalanche. And really since then, haven't had too much success. Well, that turned around once they brought in a coach like Joe Quenville, former Stanley Cup champion himself with Chicago when they were in the middle of their dynasty with Patrick Kane and those guys. And it's really been been one of those good stories. Is it is it gonna end in a Cinderella fashion? I don't believe so. But I don't. I also don't believe that this is the best Florida Panther team that we're seeing. They are very much a better team than what we saw in the 2020 season. I, I, that's 
pretty much goes without saying because if I were to go back to those standings and, and uh, might look those up here later on in the show, if we were to go back to the 2020 season, Florida was nowhere near the top or near a playoff spot or near a Stanley Cup contender. Yet somehow this season with everything that's been going on. All right, as I'm waiting for the stats, I'm gonna pull them up on one of my other computers here. Having to play, it's a solo mission today, this week for Two for Chirping. I'm having to play host personality and then I'm also gonna to have to be my own producer and look up my own stats as well. But we're talking about the Florida Panthers and you know, this has been one of the more successful seasons that I can remember since that Stanley Cup run. And, and it's a great thing. And, and I do think that Joe Quenville, if given the right pieces around him, he's the kind of coach that can take a mediocre team to become one of the good teams. And really, for their future success, it kind of comes down to how the NHL is going to handle what next season is going to look like with vaccines starting to become more readily available. Um, I'm sure at some point Canada is going to loosen their travel restrictions. So we're not going to have to have a full Canadian division or just play within division. So that those are two things that you kind of got to think about with, with Florida. And it can go either, it can go one of two ways. Either you think Florida is in this position because they only had to play a select amount of teams in Carolina, Tampa Bay, Nashville, Dallas, Chicago, Columbus, and Detroit, or you can say that having to play Carolina and Tampa Bay plus you know, tough teams like Nashville, Dallas, and Chicago, that when they start to get opened up and play some of these other worst teams around the league, maybe they do continue on this trend. Maybe Joe Quenville does have something working with the Panthers down there in Southern Florida. Right now, all I'm going to say is hats off to Joe Quenville, hats off to that organization, everybody playing out there. They basically took all of the shade that was thrown because I – I want to say in our original rankings of the divisions for this show, Florida was down near the bottom. Maybe Detroit was the only team that was going to be looked at as being better than them uh, or worse than them, worse than them, excuse me. <clears throat> and now they're top three holding on to that position and really pushing Tampa Bay and Carolina. It's not an easy night when you go out and play the Panthers anymore. It's not one of those games where you can just expect things to go your way. So that's, a great story for them. Tampa Bay is, is one of the more we I, Nico and I had this discussion on our show, the far end of the bench, which you can go back and listen to episode 39. Tampa Bay still might be the scariest team left in the NHL outside of the West division where we know that Vegas and Colorado are just among the elite of the league. Every single game that, that those two teams play is much must see TV at this point. Tampa Bay still has Victor Hedman, still has Braden Point, and they're going to get back Nikita Kucherov, still have Andre Vasilevsky, who I think at this point is probably the best in the front runner with Grubauer having to miss a few weeks due to COVID. So Tampa Bay still, I think, like I said, I still give them the slight edge when it comes down to playoff hockey. They, they have that championship experience. This team is pretty much the same exact team that went into Toronto last year and hoisted the Stanley Cup, beating what I thought was an overachieving Dallas Stars team. But there's no no telling what adding Kucherov back to this lineup is going to do. You'd think that it would just make them that much better. Nikita Kucherov is one of the top premier playmakers in the entire NHL in the world of hockey at this point. What he can do, what he opens up for other people when he's on the ice, 
uh, it's, it's something different that you don't often get to see. So it's very difficult for me to sit here and say that there's a possibility adding him back to the mix is going to throw off the chemistry, throw off the mojo of this team. But there is always that possibility. The guy has not played a meaningful hockey game since this time last year or a little bit later, not, not quite a year it has been his layoff. So you, you never really know. He, he could come out guns a-blazing or he could just take that little bit of time to get himself rolling. Either way, I still think Tampa Bay has the pieces around him that if it takes Nikita Kucherov a few games, I don't see that see it taking him the requisite number of games for Tampa Bay to lose a playoff series. It, I don't see the Lightning losing four games before Nikita Kucherov comes back into form and we start seeing what a fresh Nikita Kucherov not having to play in the entire regular season does for the Lightning. Carolina, you know, they've took, took care of business. They were one of the top teams when looked at in the Central Division, and they held that mantle. They are uh, right now dominating people at home, only having seven total losses, four of those being overtime losses when they're at home on the road. Still a pretty respectable record, 16-7-3 and three on the road and uh, plus 51 goal differential. So these guys are scoring, and when they lose, they pretty much always take you to extra time, get that extra team point. So Carolina, as much of a frightening thing as Tampa Bay is, Carolina is just as, just as talented, can match them skate for skate, at least right now. Once both teams are at full strength, you know, they could change things up a little bit. But Carolina really has been pretty much the top team in this division the entire season, uh, especially once Tampa Bay had their little slump. The fourth spot in this one, this is one of the only divisions, this and actually this is one of three divisions that don't have all four playoff spots set. Nashville, Dallas. Dallas has a game in hand on the Predators, trailing by four points. So Dallas is going to have to pretty much win out the rest of the season if they do want to move up and nab that fourth spot. And there's some things, you know, Dallas definitely, like I said, overachieved last year. Coming into the season, I did not. This is basically what I expected to see from Dallas. I do think that they were hampered a lot by injury. Tyler Sagan not being able to come back until recently on the ice. And uh, I'll have to look up and see if he's actually played in an actual game in this 2021 season. But this is the Dallas Stars team that I was expecting playing in in the bubble playoffs last year this is not a team that's going to be a juggernaut and be able to knock off a lot of the top teams I still think that they can push you know different different franchises to six seven games in a series but I still don't I don't have that same fear or that same edge that I saw from the stars last year where if it's going into a game seven in a pivotal moment they're going to have four or five guys that are just raring to go and make everything happen for them. That's not the way that this team is built this year. Uh, I could be wrong, and they could prove me wrong and win out and at least nab the fourth spot in the division. But once they go up against Carolina at this point, who pretty much, you know, there's three games left in the season. Tampa Bay or Florida would have to have a, a huge run at the end of the season. And actually, Carolina has a game in hand on Florida. So I, I really don't think that the Panthers can move up into that first seed in the central division. This one, for as bad as the bad teams are in the central, the good teams make up for it. This is one of the more balanced divisions that we've seen so far in the league. So I'll give my hats off to the central. I think that they're one of the top uh, divisions outside of maybe the, the east. And that's 
where we'll move next. The Eastern Division right now, as it sits, all playoff spots have been filled. Still could be some maneuvering in the three and four spot. Uh, but right now it's Washington and Pittsburgh tied at 73 points apiece for the number one seed. And then we also have Boston and New York, the Islanders, not the Rangers. Uh, we'll talk about the Rangers a little bit later because recently they've had some interesting, you know, let's just put it this way. Tom Wilson is involved. So you know what's coming when I talk about the New York Rangers later on in the show. <clears throat> One thing that I really wanted to touch on in this Eastern division is those Pittsburgh Penguins. And I'll be the one of the first ones to admit, I thought this was going to be the year that we saw the dynasty, or at least the bones of the dynasty that Pittsburgh created fall apart. <clears throat> Going all the way back to the 2007 Stanley Cup that they won, Sidney Crosby's first, where Evgeny Balkin was the Conn Smythe winner. That's basically been this Pittsburgh lineup, you know, for the better part of the last decade and a half is how I'll put it. <clears throat> they did not come out strong at the beginning of the season. Now, they're also a team like uh, like what we talked about with Florida that have really outdone themselves and made a lot of people have to eat their words about what they were saying. I thought at one point in the season, I said it on far end of the bench, that Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin might be on their way out of Pittsburgh. They've come back roaring. In their last 10, they are 7-3-0, and zero, and they had a stretch there where they had about a five- or six-game winning streak. So there is obviously still a lot of talent on that roster, and they're one of the more deep rosters, excuse me, as well, uh, looking at just the amount of players that they have in each position. You got obviously got to worry about Crosby, got to worry about Malkin, but then going here and looking at their goaltending, they have four goaltenders. Now, I'm not going to say they're four premier goaltenders, but they have four goaltenders, which is basically like having a lot of really good relief pitchers in your bullpen if you want to equate it to baseball. So if one guy doesn't have it one night, you really have three other people that you can see what they have. Tristan Jerry, if I had, if I had to make a guess, I think Tristan Jari is probably going to be the starter through most of the playoffs. But then they also have Alex Diorio, who is a really young up-and-coming goaltender, Casey DeSmith and Maxime Legacy, also all on the roster. And then looking here, they have Chris Letang still, who is also a part of those first few Stanley Cup winning teams out in Pittsburgh. It, it really comes down to Pittsburgh is one of those organizations that knows how to win. They know how to play hockey the right way. And they have really good management. Mario Lemieux, a lot of people – People in the recent generations are quick to dismiss exactly what Mario Lemieux has done for the city of Pittsburgh. You know, after their initial coming into the league, there was talk about moving Pittsburgh out of the city when they were, you know, they did draft Sidney Crosby number one overall. They had a lottery pick and they had a few lottery picks in a row for a while. And that's what was able to build this dynasty that we've been seeing for the better part of 15 years. Boston, that's a team that you always got to be wary of, especially with how they've come back and solidified a playoff spot. You got to remember they had two or three COVID breaks within the span of about six weeks. I know Jim is going to be enjoying himself while I have to give praise to the Boston Bruins, but you do. 
they are seven, two and one the perfection line. It's not quite as prolific as it was early on in the season where they were just on an absolute tear, but Boston's also not at the same point that they were at the beginning of the season where they couldn't score an even strength goal. Now you got to worry about everybody that's out on the ice. Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, who stepped in as captain. This is his first season wearing the C and then David Pasternak. Pasternak might be the greatest sniper in the NHL right now. He can hit it. I might get some heat for saying that it's probably between him and Ovechkin, but Pasta is this this generation's Ovechkin at least, where anywhere that he is at on the ice, if he puts a puck towards the net, there's a 55 to 65 percent chance it's going to go and, and tickle the twine back there. The New York Islanders, I will say, if I'm going to be disappointed with any team in this division, it's the New York Islanders. For a long stretch of the season, they held down that number one spot. And they've fallen all the way out to number four, um, one point behind Boston. Boston has a game in hand on the Islanders. And I know Dan is not going to be happy with me for saying this, but I don't trust the New York Islanders with the way that they ended out their season. I had a lot of, they were my pick midseason to win this division. I didn't think, I thought that Washington had fallen off. I thought that Pittsburgh wasn't going to be there. I think at that point, Philadelphia and New York were still in the playoff conversation. Um, Really, the Islanders just lucked out that the Rangers and the Flyers had such bad middles of the season. New York basically got themselves really inflated and then have struggled in recent recent weeks. They're 4-4-2 four, four, and two in their last 10 and have gone from, I think, a plus 35 goal differential down to a plus 26. So still in the positive, but going up against Washington as it sits right now in the first round, I would give the edge in that series to and Alexander Ovechkin-led Washington team. If they go up against Pittsburgh, just I'm calling it right now, Islanders are going to be a first-round exit if that happens. I think the Penguins have their number. The East is going to be interesting. I do think at one point in the season, Boston was one of the top three teams in the NHL. Not quite sure if I still believe that. If I'm going to say anybody is my favorite to win this Eastern Division right now, it's the Pittsburgh Penguins. I really like the way that they've come on, and and you got to – you can never underestimate the value of momentum. And when you're a team that has the experience, plus you're getting momentum back at the right time, it's a scary sight to behold. And we're seeing exactly what Pittsburgh has been able to do. And I really wouldn't be surprised if they end up coming out as the one seed uh, of this division. They still have two, they only have two games left. Washington has three games left. Um, as just double checking here, Pittsburgh at the time of this recording is actually up two to one on Buffalo at the end of the first and the Islanders are trailing the New Jersey Devils, but it doesn't matter. They're already solidified going to be the, at least the number four seed in that division, which then brings us up North and the Canadians. We have finally more than just the Toronto Maple Leafs who have solidified their playoff spot. But if you want to talk about a division that, doesn't deserve to have at least one team representing them in the final four. It's this one. I, I'm going to sound biased. I think the West top to bottom should probably have about three, at least in the conference semifinal round, three teams. And that's not how this season is going to work. Obviously I'll give Toronto the credit that they deserve 33, 13 and six on the season. You know, they took a weak division and basically ran it over. There's, Obviously, a lot of star power up north with Austin Matthews on Toronto and then Conor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl in Edmonton. But 
there's no goaltending. There's no defense. I've watched the Ottawa Senators and Edmonton Oilers play this season, and it is a far cry from what you get to see when you watch Vegas play Colorado or you watch Washington play Pittsburgh or even Tampa Bay play Florida at this point. Toronto, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and right now it's between Calgary and Montreal. There is a – it's going to be Montreal. I just – Double-checking here the points. Montreal has 57 points, and Calgary has 47. So it's not mathematically set yet, but Montreal is going to be that fourth team. Who knows what's going to come out of this Canadian division? And who knows what's going to happen when one of these teams do come out of this division? I don't see them beating anybody in the final four. I see them possibly getting swept in that semifinal round. So if you're a team of somebody – if you're a fan of a team from outside of – the North Division, you should be chomping at the bit, hoping that once your team makes it out of their divisional playoffs, that they have to play either Toronto or Edmonton. I say Winnipeg. Winnipeg's kind of, you know, they're three and seven in their last 10, so they're not as much of a threat as I once thought they were at the season. I really can't call who's going to come out of this one. I want to say it's Toronto. I really do. But Nico said it best, oh, my, pod, my co-host on the far end of the bench. Toronto is the biggest obstacle standing in Toronto's way. Toronto has probably the biggest history of choking in the entire history of the NFL. NHL. Wow. NHL. It's been a long week. I told you. It's been a long couple weeks. I'm recording this episode, but that doesn't mean I got any less busy. I really like the Leafs. But I also think that I really like the Leafs to be the downfall of the Leafs this year. If they make it out, if they're the team that makes it out of this division, they have the best chance of beating the winner of the West, the Central, or the East, however they reseed it once they get to the final four. But I am not 100% confident in saying that Edmonton or Winnipeg or Montreal won't upset them in the first round of the playoffs. you got to remember, Toronto was the favorite to win that play-in tournament last year once the bubble playoffs came back, and we all saw how that happened. They didn't even make it into the actual bracket. They uh, – they got beat up and sent home. It's a different team, really. It, it seems like it, but I've said it the entire season, and I joked about it with the original members of this show. I think that they forgot they needed goaltenders in Canada this season. I really think that um, they just thought offense was all that they needed. They don't even really play defense, which is why I can sit here and confidently say I really don't see a Stanley Cup champion or a Stanley Cup contender sitting in the North Division. I would love, I hope we get to see Toronto and Edmonton in the finals of this divisional playoffs. I want to see Austin Matthews versus Connor McDavid uh, on primetime TV. Obviously, it's happened plenty of times this season, but I don't really get to watch all. There's not too many Canadian games that get played in Colorado. Let's just put it that way. I really want to see that matchup, and I want to see team the best American player in the NHL right now and Austin Matthews play against the best Canadian player in the NHL right now or best Canadian scorer in the NHL right now and Connor McDavid. <clears throat> but really both of those teams are liable for a meltdown and it's, it's unfortunate. No Canadian team has won the Stanley cup since 1993. I don't see that streak ending right this year. I think it's going to go, at least another couple. I think both those, all, all four of the playoff teams that could come out of the North Division have a long way to go to actually being in consideration of a championship contender. And I know that's going to piss a lot of people off. 
might sound like I'm biased towards America. No, I'm looking at this as objectively as I can. These teams do not have the requisite experience, don't have the requisite momentum. They don't know how to actually win in big moments. They know how to win regular season games. <laughs> it's difficult. I see out of this division, I see a Tampa Bay Lightning, Calgary Flames from three years ago, Tampa Bay Lightning from two years ago when they won the President's Trophy and got upset by the eighth seed in the first round. That's what I see coming out of the North Division. I don't see the Stanley Cup going back up there anytime soon. The Montreal Canadiens are uh, not going to break their own curse because that's the last Canadian team to actually win the Stanley Cup. And that brings us now to the West Division. Right now, the top four in the West, pretty much set. Like I, like I said with the Canadian Division, Arizona is a little bit too far gone to sneak up into that fourth seed right now. But Vegas right now is 76 points, and they are the second highest point total in the league, um, followed behind them closely by the Colorado Avalanche at 72 points. And then the Minnesota Wild, third seed in the West, and it's going to be the St. Louis Blues that come out with 56 points making the playoffs. Uh, it kind of shows you how top-heavy the Western Division was. Still, I still am going to stand by the fact that I think the best teams in the NHL reside in the West Division, Vegas, Colorado. You can even throw in Minnesota. It might be a little bit early to say that Minnesota's up there as a top team in the entire league. But obviously with the way that these playoffs, the way that these games have been going for the, uh, the teams in this division, it is a little bit different than what we're used to seeing. Uh, let's just start off by – Throwing out, we'll talk about my team first so that I can get that out of the way. Colorado coming off of that 15-game point streak and the, uh, well, I'm still going to say, it, amazing trade deadline that the Colorado Avalanche and Joe Sackick had. I still give them the edge in a seven-game series over the Vegas Golden Knights. If you want to look at season series, I think Vegas ended up pulling away with it for the last few games. It was dead even for a long majority. Vegas would win one game, Colorado would win one. And then uh, the Lake Tahoe game that entire week, they played each other four times. Colorado won the first two, Vegas won the last two. It really comes down to just how good is your back end going to play? Vegas, they know how to beat Colorado. Everybody basically knows how to beat Colorado at this point. And there's a big difference of knowing how to beat a team like the Avalanche and actually being able to do it. It goes back all the way to the first game of the season. If you shut down the middle of the ice and don't let Colorado get going with their speed, they struggle a little bit trying to win in other ways. They don't fight in the corners very well. They're just, they're completely undersized. And you can see that just by looking when they line up at the, at the face-off circle. Uh, the last game that I got to watch the abs play was against Vegas last Wednesday. Just physically the, the golden Knights, are an imposing presence, especially when you're looking at a team like Colorado. But that doesn't then begs the question, do you have the team that can shut down the middle of the ice consistently and be able to win four games before Colorado is just able to outscore you on their way to winning the entire series? Right now, looking at the standings and looking at some of the team stats, Colorado has scored 178 goals on the season 
which just shows you the kind of explosive firepower that they have on offense. Of the teams that are in the playoff picture, the Eastern Division has a couple teams that are up in the 180s for the goals scored. So outside of the Eastern Division, Colorado would have the highest goal goals for total in the entire league. That doesn't mean that they are a shoe-in to obviously win the rest of the series. It's going to be difficult. This Western Division playoffs, these teams are going to just beat the ever-loving crap out of each other. It's going to be a fight all the way down to the end. I could see almost all of these divisions or all, almost all of these playoff series going into full seven. Minnesota and St. Louis, they have some things that they can bring to the Colorado games or even against the Knights if you want to talk about uh, the number one seed. As a Colorado Avalanche fan, I like where they're sitting right now. Second in the West and first playoff matchup would be against the Minnesota Wild, who they really kind of big brothered through their regular season series. I really, I really like that. And I think St. Louis is going to be a tough matchup for Vegas in a seven game series. I could be a hundred percent wrong, but that's just where I'm, I'm sitting at this point. I do want Colorado to come through and be one of those final four teams. The biggest matchup that I think we're going to be able to see out of this one is that second round matchup between the golden Knights and the avalanche where it's a seven game series and they've played each other plenty of times, just like everybody else in the league this year. They've played each other plenty of times to know what the other is going to be good at, what the other is going to struggle at. Um, and there's just really no telling what's going to happen by the end of that seventh game. It could be we're seeing a, a total shift in how both of these teams are playing. Maybe Colorado is going to come out in the playoffs and know that they need to step their game up and, and win in those dirty areas and go into the corners of the ice and fight for pucks and then get just those second, third chance attempts. And they're not going to be able to let Nathan McKinnon run down the ice and, and score on wide open shots and wide open chances. One thing I will say, they are showing a lot of resiliency. That last four game stretch that they had against San Jose, I know that they lost the last game of that series, but going back to the third out of the four, they, or San Jose scored three unanswered. Colorado scored the first goal. They were up one nothing. San Jose came back and scored three unanswered goals to make it 4-1 going into the third period. Or 4-2, I think, going into the third period. Colorado then proceeded to score the next three goals and win in overtime. It had a lot to do with Nazem Kadri, who had the game-winning goal. Landeskog had an amazing, just from the top of the circle, I don't think he even thought that it was going to go in. Um, so there are really good pieces in this Colorado Avalanche team, and I think they've been to the playoffs enough, been close enough that basically everybody on the roster who's been there just wants to finally break that, that mold. This was the year that they came in with all of their expectations, and really they've lived up and maybe even succeeded some of those expectations. But that doesn't mean expectations are great until you get out on the ice and then you have to figure out, okay, now how are we going to be able to take this thing and continue to move it forward? I have faith that they're going to do that. Obviously, that's what I would prefer them to be able to do. But you can never count out the Vegas Golden Knights, especially when they have a Hall of Fame goaltender in that right now and Marc-Andre Fleury, who's playing absolutely outstanding hockey. And uh, there, there's a – it's not going to be easy. I, I'm going to be on the, excuse me, edge of my seat for most of these playoff matchups. 
especially once it gets down to Vegas versus Colorado. And I'm, I'm excited for it. That's, that's the division that I'm ready to watch some playoff hockey for. All right. Now we've gone through all of the divisional standings and where I think some of these teams land. So we're going to take a quick break here from a couple of our partners on the Unhinged Sports Network. And when we come back, I'm going to run through some of the headlines because I mentioned the New York Rangers before. We got to talk about what's happened with them recently and uh, their series against the Washington Capitals. And then just some of the other headlines that are coming out throughout the league as we get ready for some playoff hockey to start. But that's coming up here on the second half of Two for Chirping here on the Unhinged Sports Network. Bench warmers, thank you guys for listening to the Unhinged Sports Network. And we wanted to talk about Fanatics once again, our oldest partner, our very first partner on the Unhinged Sports Network. You can still use their link in our bio and make your purchase because there's new jerseys coming out on that site. And, and not just jerseys and shirts, it's anything merchandise-wise. Uh, all of the podcasts on the Unhinged Sports Network talk about it at FEOTB Pod to find the link in our bio and use that to buy your shirt. They got promo codes every single day. Um, great, great deals, great content, great, great merchandise that you can get. Nico, what are some of the things that they can find on the Fanatics website through our link that they can buy? Well, I mean, it's it's March, it's April, man. We have lots of good stuff coming, but the best time of March is the conference tournaments for college basketball and all those beautiful warm-ups that they use throughout the tournament. If you see a dude losing his mind on the bench with a sick warm-up through while you're watching the tournament, go to use the Fanatics ad, go get you one of the warm-ups from those universities, and go get support your favorite teams because all those just sick warm-ups, like I said, sick jerseys whatever it may be lots of good stuff and the all-star game just happened NBA all-star game happened go get you a Nicole Jokic jersey I'm not sure what the color looks like right now because we're recording before but go get you a Nicole Jokic jersey go get you <coughs> excuse me all-star warm-ups I got an all-star warm-up jacket off Fanatics go use but you have to use that link make sure you use that link yeah Fanatics the best place for a sports fan get all your different merchandise that you need link in our bio at FEOTB pod help out the Unhinged Sports Network and support your favorite team. What's up, bench warmers of the Unhinged Sports Network? We got another thing to, to get to because, you know, nobody likes dealing with cable companies in 2020. And here at the Unhinged Sports Network, we wanted to cater to you guys to go into the new age, cut your cable cords with Fubo TV. We have a new link, a new partnership. You can go to the link in our bio. And if you sign up for a subscription through that link, you will kick back a little bit of money to the Unhinged Sports Network so we can continue to bring great content all across this platform. And we got big things coming up in 2021, so you're going to have to, to get in on this, and we're helping you out in the process. Yeah, make, make your life easier, man. No one likes dealing with cable companies. You don't get half the channels. Um, sometimes there's blackouts. That's not present with Fubo. You can get whatever you want. I can watch Sunday Night Football with no sweat. I can watch... The, or, TN, or I can watch basketball on TNT anytime I want. Um, get, be sure to use Fubo, man. I'm definitely going to use it. I hate paying for cable, so I'm going to be using that right right now as we speak, if we're being honest. And I want to make sure to get on that deal so now it's your turn to do the same. Help out the Unhinged Sports Network. Cut your cable cord. Come into the digital age. Thanks, guys. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Two for Chirping, the exclusive home 
before Hockey Talk here on the Unhinged Sports Network. We talked about the divisional standings and how the playoff race started to look in the first half of this show. So if you missed that, be sure to catch one of the replays on the Unhinged Sports Network, unhingedsn.airtime.pro, or on demand. Just search Unhinged Sports Network on any podcasting platform that you're listening to, and uh, you'll be able to find that first part of the show. But now we're going to talk about some of the major headlines and really – at the time of this recording, it's going to be just the one headline, uh, but there's a lot of different stories that go into it. And then we'll finish out by looking at some of the power rankings and see if I agree with the ESPN analysts here. Um, but like I said, the New York Rangers and Washington Capitals, Tom Wilson finds himself in this situation again. And it's almost to the point where you can't even really blame Tom Wilson. You got to blame the people in charge that continue to enable this for lack of a better term, and I'm going to try and keep this as, as cleaned up as possible, he's just a gigantic a-hole. That's the best way to put it. I'm not going to call him a goon because goons will fight anybody anywhere. Tom Wilson specifically goes after the other team's weakest or at least the guy he perceives to think can't handle himself. Monday night, the Rangers and Capitals, at the end of their season series. So these guys are absolutely sick of playing each other, playing the same same teams over and over and over again. There's a stoppage of play in the crease of the New York Rangers. Tom Wilson, uh, surprise, surprise, is right in the middle of everything. Uh, he goes in and I believe it's Buchnevich for the New York Rangers is on the ground fighting to make sure that the puck stays out of the net. Tom Wilson then is in the scrum, and at the bottom of the pile, he starts bouncing Buchnevich's head off of the ice. Buchnevich luckily had a helmet on, but then after he bounces his head off the ice a couple times, he starts throwing punches. And there's an unwritten rule in hockey that when you fight, you take your gloves off because you're not really fighting to try and hurt somebody. And when you're fighting without any protection on your hands, you're less likely to throw as many punches as possible. Tom Wilson, being the dick that he is, did not do that. He bounces Buchnevich's head off the ice and then continued to throw punches with his gloves. And the only thing on the other side of Buchnevich's head was solid ice. So three or four bounces and then three or four punches from Tom Wilson before Artemi Panarin could get to the scrum and try and get Tom Wilson off of him. Buchnevich is obviously done for the rest of the season. There's only three or four games left for the Rangers, so might not seem like a big deal. But even if this was a midseason thing, I think that he'd probably be out for at least two or three weeks. Then when Artemi Panarin goes after Tom Wilson, Wilson keeps his gloves on again and sweeps the leg of Artemi Panarin, knocking him down to the ice, and then proceeds to sit on top of him in full mount and continues to throw punches. Okay. You can chalk it up to maybe Wilson's adrenaline was a little bit high and he didn't understand what he was doing. Here's what I'll say if you're trying to defend him that way. The fact that he kept his gloves on the entire time, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. He was not out there to try and assert himself, try and get momentum back for the team, which is normally what guys fight for. He was just out there to try and maim and injure as many players as he could. Fast forward to the end of the game. People are starting to wonder uh, if Wilson just came off a seven-game suspension. It was like his third or fourth game back after that suspension. 
for boarding one of the Boston Bruins members of that team. I can't remember the guy's name specifically. What is going to happen to Tom Wilson? What is going to happen to Tom Wilson? Well, in a perfect world, he probably would have been suspended for the rest of the regular season and then throughout the playoffs because what he did was one of the most egregious egregious things that I think I've ever seen in sports. It's similar to Indomitian Sioux stomping on people, kicking people in the nuts, uh, kicking a guy without a helmet on in, in the NFL, or uh, Pedro Martinez. Yes, I know, Jim, I, I praised Boston earlier on. I'm going to throw shade at them now. Pedro Martinez picking the oldest coach on the New York Yankees roster and throwing him to the ground. It's about as egregious as it gets what Tom Wilson did. Does he get suspended? No. Okay, so then you're thinking he got he got fined a massive amount, right? Nope. No. The uh, head of NHL player safety, which I don't know how he got this job, because when George Paros played, he was an enforcer. Wasn't a very good enforcer, got his ass kicked a lot, and I think that's probably why he runs the game. The player safety, and I'm putting that in quotes, because he does not give any kind of concern to player safety. I think that he is trying to still assert himself, and he thinks that he sees a little bit of himself in Tom Wilson. All he does is, you know, all the NHL did for Tom Wilson was find him $5,000. Absolutely the wrong decision. If you, I know that Capitals fans need to defend the guy that's on their team, but if you are still in the camp of, you know, Tom Wilson, it's not up to Tom Wilson to be disciplined. It's up to the league to discipline him. I get that he's done enough to the point where I don't think he should be allowed to play in the NHL anymore. This would have been, I think, his fifth suspension in the last four years if they actually would have done what probably should have taken place after what happened on Monday night in New York. Be that as it may, obviously the Rangers organization is not going to be happy about that. They release a public statement saying, stating that they believe George Paros is not – acting in the best interest of the players on the ice in his current role as head of NHL player safety. Not too much that you can say to argue about that. I mean, the guy has allowed multiple head-on collisions. Guys are taking runs at other players on the other teams that can legitimately not only end the career that they have on the ice, the guy that Tom Wilson boarded on Boston has blurry vision and was vomiting for three weeks after he was diagnosed with a concussion from that illegal hit that Tom Wilson was suspended for earlier on in the season. This guy gets criticized by the New York Rangers in a public statement. What does Gary Bettman do? Does he go back in and say, um, I actually don't agree with what Paros, the, the punishment that he dealt to Tom Wilson in the Washington Capitals? I don't agree with that. I'm going to go ahead and make this right. No, no, that's not it. Not what he did at all. He proceeds to find the New York Rangers organization $250,000, five times the amount that Tom Wilson was fined for this incident and forced the Rangers to fire two of their executives as well. I, I don't even know. If you have an explanation for this and you think that you can tell me that I'm wrong about my feelings on this situation. I am all ears to hear what you have to say. Be sure to tweet at Network Unhinged, at FEOTBPod, at Jimmy Pilato, anything like that. If you have a pure explanation 
for why Tom Wilson and the situation was handled the way that it was and New York gets fined five times the amount and has to fire two executives. Well, a guy who is only out there to injure players on Monday night gets to play in the game two nights ago or at the time of this recording, it was last night, but playing the game two nights after. I would love to hear what your explanation is because I can't think of anything that would be able to back this up. Now, Bettman's explanation for the re- the sanctions against the Rangers organization is that they're personally attacking a NHL executive. Yes, that's exactly what they were doing. The Rangers knew that's what they were doing. The Rangers knew that there was not going to be anything changed about the decision. They knew that they were going to get fined. They knew that they were going to be in trouble for what they said, but they needed to say it because George Paros in his time as NHL head of player safety has not done a single thing to actually promote player safety. What, If anything, he's made the game almost even more dangerous than it was back in the 60s when they weren't wearing helmets and, and goalies only had the Jason mask. Didn't even have a helmet to cover their entire head. They were taking full-on 80-mile-per-hour slap shots to the face. All that being said, you go out into the game Wednesday night and right off the bat, you have a line brawl, which is probably the first time that I think I've seen a line brawl since maybe 2012 was the last time. And that was New Jersey versus New York. It's not good. It's not a good look. You think that letting a guy do what he did and then there's not going to be repercussions. You're out of your mind. You don't watch hockey. I don't, I, I'm honestly not convinced that Gary Bettman watches hockey anyways. He is the absolute worst commissioner of any of the major professional sports leagues. This proves it. He should not be in a position where he gets to make decisions for the entire league. He's not out there about the game. He's out there for money, which is ironic because the NHL doesn't really make any, any money anyways. They're the only league in this entire COVID pandemic that, is really struggling at this point because their salary cap is not going up. It's staying stagnant and possibly going down the next year. He's already becoming NASCAR and trying to put as many sponsorships on everything that's happening with the NHL as it is. There's a line brawl to start off over a hundred minutes and penalties assessed within the first, I think three minutes of regulation because you have the line brawl to start. As soon as Tom Wilson gets on the ice, one of the Rangers goes after him which is what that's the unwritten rule in hockey. When you do something like what Tom Wilson did, you're going to get ran at pretty much until you finally get in the eyes of the players, you're going to get ran until you get what you deserve. Now there's not really anybody on the Rangers with the, the way that the game is evolving. There's not really a goon that the Rangers could rely on to take care of business, handle their business. And Tom Wilson for as much of a coward as I think he is, I think he goes at the people he knows he can beat up if if he's going after – if they weren't on the same team, if he was going after a guy like Zidane Chara, I think Tom Wilson would probably cry in the corner of the bench for the next 45 minutes if that happened. This entire situation just gave even more of a black eye, and the NHL is doubling down and showing that they really could care less if the guys actually survived playing on the ice. They could care less if the guys after they're done playing have medical issues that are long lasting. I I really don't even know how they're justifying what they're going to be doing. And for the, the Rangers to have that much more of sanctions for making a public statement than for a guy who is going out there with only the intent 
to harm or injure the other players on the ice. It just doesn't make any kind of sense to me. It, like I said, if you can explain it to me and uh, make make me not have an explanation to argue your point, I'm all ears to hear it. Even if 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 you don't convince me that it was the right thing that they did, I will be more than happy to entertain your opinion and we can have a civil conversation about it. But I really don't think anybody's going to change my mind on this. I think if I had other personalities on this panel, I, I don't know if I don't eh. – Griffin Youngs, who's been on this show in the past few weeks, he started off as a Capitals fan. He started off as a Capitals fan, not really anymore. He's the host of the Tell It As It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. He's much more of an Avalanche fan now. I would love, maybe I'll try and get him back on next week. I would love to get his opinion on what happened with Tom Wilson in the NHL and why he wasn't suspended for what should have been a repeat offense. I don't know. It's just this entire situation, all it's doing is making things worse for everybody involved and what the NHL thinks they're doing by finding the Rangers organization and saying that they shouldn't have said what they did about George Paros. No, George Paros needs to be held responsible for the stuff that he's allowed on the ice. You should never have a goon, a former goon, as bad as he was, in charge of player safety because that's just never going to go well. When a guy doesn't win fights when he plays in the league, he's going to look for other ways that he could win. And this was one of the situations where George Paros thought he can get one back on the guys that used to beat the crap out of him on the ice. I, I just don't even don't even have words for how despicable this whole thing was. Uh, I am behind the Rangers 100%. I think that they should pay the $250,000 in pennies and just drop him outside of Gary Bettman's office door so that he doesn't get to go back into his office and maybe maybe he'll get the message. But really, if you want to talk about a guy who's a narcissist and doesn't think that he does anything wrong, it goes Gary Bettman, and then it goes George Paros. That's how this thing works. And then Rob Manfred's right behind them. But, you know, Manfred hasn't even done – hasn't had any time in this MLB season to do something as absolutely incredulous as what we saw from Gary Bettman and the rest of the NHL. Um, it's not going to happen, but if I were the other 30 teams in the NHL besides the Rangers and the Capitals right now, I would be volunteering to pay the $250,000 fine for what the Rangers did. And for what the Rangers really, all their statement did was make sure that people are starting to talk about this, make sure that this wasn't swept under the rug, because that's what it seems like the NHL was trying to do. The $5,000 fine for Tom Wilson, it really just seems like the NHL was trying to give, make sure that he paid a little bit of money and, and hush up the rest of the fans. Well, jokes on those guys. They don't, they don't realize that true hockey fans know what was going on and true hockey fans are just waiting and hoping for the day that Tom Wilson finally gets what's coming to him. And uh, I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know what that's going to entail. I'm not wishing, I want to make sure that this is clear. I'm not wishing that a guy gets a life-altering injury, even though he's doled out his fair share. I don't think that's the way this needs to be handled, but I do think that, you know, a couple season ban would be you know, for a guy who's been suspended already for three different times in his career, maybe ban him for an entire season, make sure that he doesn't get paid by the organization 
make him go play in the KHL or something over in Russia if he wants to continue to play, that would be a requisite punishment for what the crime that Tom Wilson committed. He should have been arrested. I think I, I stand by that wholeheartedly. He should have been arrested. And if you want to come back at me and say that Artemi Panarin jumped on top of Tom Wilson, well, if he didn't, Bujanevich probably doesn't walk off the ice, doesn't be, isn't able to skate off the ice. So there are levels to what was happening Monday night, and it should have been handled better, better by the referees. It wasn't. Should have been handled better by the NHL front office. It obviously wasn't. This this whole thing is just a black eye. As, as much fun as this NHL season has been, and I know there's a lot of people that love fighting in hockey. People who love the fighting aspect in hockey love it because they know the reasoning behind it. Anytime that there's a fight in an NHL game, there is a bigger reason as to why that fight happened, whether it's to protect the guy who got a cheap shot against him and the referees didn't see it. Because let's be honest, these guys are moving at 20 miles an hour down the ice or however fast they're able to skate. There's only three referees on the ice at a time. You're not going to be able to catch every call. There's a great documentary on Netflix about enforcers and the way that the game is changing um, called Ice Guardians on Netflix. I would highly recommend if you have any problem with what I've said in the past 10 minutes or however long I've been on this rant on this topic, go watch that documentary and understand the actual psychology behind an NHL fight. And then they also, I mean, that documentary goes in and talks about leagues where fighting is outlawed and you have twice as many head injuries, twice as many career ending injuries, because there is no consequence for a cheap shot. If the referee doesn't see you do it. You don't get put in the penalty box. You don't get put, you don't, you don't have to answer for any of the things that you do on the ice when there is no repercussion coming from an enforcer. So it may seem hypocritical. I do know that fighting is a necessary evil in hockey, but you need to make sure that you're enabling the right person to fight in the NHL. And Tom Wilson has proven this is his fifth time now that he's proven he should not be allowed to play professional hockey. That's, that's where I'll leave that. Okay. That was basically the main headline. Um, Panarin, Buchnevich, and Truba are all going to be out for the rest of the season. Like I said, it's only three more games. They're all done for the rest of the season after Monday night. Um, and, yeah, if you want – I mean, if you want to see something that you don't always get to see, especially in nowadays – uh, just watch, there's a video on YouTube, and I'll actually, because I watched it earlier today, I'll give you guys the actual title to look it up by uh, New York Rangers versus Washington Capitals Fight Night. It's a seven-minute video, and it has all of the fights that happened that took place after uh, the game Monday night when the Capitals and Rangers had their season finale meeting on Wednesday. And the fact that there's a seven-minute long video of fights and 100-plus minutes were given out in the first three minutes of regulation. 100-plus penalty minutes, excuse me, were given out in the first three minutes of regulation. It's worth the watch. I'll just leave it at that. All right. Now that we got that out of the way, let's look at the ESPN power rankings in the final week of the regular season before we get into some Stanley Cup playoff hockey. <clears throat> and it's going to yeah. – uh, uh, let's go. We'll start at the bottom and we'll go through. Uh, there's 31 teams in the NHL. We'll go through the them five at a time. So 
Starting at 31, the lowest ranked team in these ESPN NHL power rankings, the Buffalo Sabres. They were previously ranked 29. They are down to 31. Above them, the Anaheim Ducks. The Columbus Blue Jackets come in at 29. The New Jersey Devils in at 28. And then to round out this first group of teams, we have Detroit at 27 and San Jose at 26. Basically, these are all just the bottom teams in their respective divisions. Everybody knows Buffalo's woes, having that 18-game losing streak earlier on in this season. Uh, nobody really knows how to fix it. I've had multiple people on this show and asked them that question, Point Blake, how do you fix the Buffalo Sabres organization and get this thing turned around? Because you, you got to remember, Ryan Miller had this team in the playoffs in the early 2010s, and uh, what they are right now is just – not great. Their points percentage is 0.343, which, as I'm going through the other bottom teams, is the worst in the NHL. And Jack Eichel obviously was injured earlier on in this season. They traded Taylor Hall, who was their huge free agent signing that was going to come in and make them the next great Buffalo Sabres team. Didn't work out that way. Funny enough, you can't just bring in star players or former MVPs and make your team great. Um, so, yeah, Buffalo Sabres rightfully earned that number 31 spot. The Anaheim Ducks, they just – they're, they're kind of in the middle of a rebuild. They don't really have a direction as a franchise, I would say, uh, and they don't have that next person who can step up and become the leader that they need. So they're, they're going to need to uh, get some new personnel in, in the locker room and make sure – Basically, you need one guy that everybody can look to as a, a leader. And if I'm going to look at the Anaheim Ducks roster, I don't see that person on their roster right now. Uh, Columbus at 29. They were previously ranked 28. They have a 415 points percentage. They only have a couple games left. They could possibly pay, play spoiler to Nashville if uh, Dallas is able to catch a little bit of fire here. But, you know, there's uh, – it's it's an interesting situation for Columbus. John Tortorella not able to get this team where a lot of people thought he was going to. So now there's talk about maybe him getting fired. Uh, 28, New Jersey. You know, all these teams here in the bottom of the rankings, they, they really just need a, a remodel. They need to blow everything up, get what you can for your best players that you have on the team, and then see what you can build in the future years. But I would say all of these teams. And it's funny and funny to talk about San Jose like this, because San Jose three years ago knocked out the avalanche uh, of the playoffs in the Western Conference semifinals. So all of these teams pretty much need to blow it up and, and start, start from scratch. That's the only way that I could see any of the top or bottom five, excuse me, of these power rankings get any better. Moving on now to the next five, we have Ottawa at 25, Los Angeles at 24, the Philadelphia Flyers at 23, which is funny because at one point they were leading the Eastern Division. Vancouver at 22, Arizona at 21, and then rounding out the uh, the list here at the, this next little grouping at number 20 are the Calgary Flames. We have our first few Canadian teams on the bottom of this power rankings list. Uh, Ottawa, Ottawa could, Ottawa probably has the most, if you're going to talk about a team that needs to blow everything up, they could get the most in return for their star players at this point. Um, but Ottawa is not, uh, like I said, I watched them play against Edmonton and I don't think Edmonton's a very good hockey team, but 
Edmonton playing against Ottawa looks like a senior men's team playing against a little league team. Uh, if you, I, I have not watched any farther than the second episode of the Mighty Ducks Game Changer series on Disney Plus, but if you watch the first game where the uh, Don't Bothers, as terrible of a name as that is, play against their first opponents, that's basically what the Ottawa Senators look like when they play against any other team in the league. They have moved up a couple spots, and I will, I'll give the Senators credit where credit is due. They have become a little bit more of a tougher out than they were at the beginning of the season. They're just really looking up at a, at a, at a talent gap is where they're sitting at this point. Philadelphia, I would say if you're a Flyers fan, I would be pretty upset with how they finished out their season, obviously. Vancouver, Vancouver at least has the out now that they had the longest COVID break of every, any other team. They, they've only played 47 games on the season while everybody else is already up over 50. So it's difficult to judge how bad they really are. And then Arizona, other than Garland, they are really just – they're not able to keep up with any of the top teams. And that's what we're probably going to see for maybe up until the top 10. Anybody outside of the top 10 of these power rankings can't beat the top teams in the league. The top 10 could beat each other eight times out of – they could play each other 10 times out of 10, and you probably have a different victor seven out of those 10 times. Anybody outside of that is just not there. Uh, real quickly, let's go through the top or the middle 10 here. And that starts at number 19 with Chicago, the Blackhawks, previously ranked 21. So they are moving up in the world. Will Hatz will probably be pretty happy about that. The Rangers sitting at 18, they're down four spots. Dallas at 17, they're down two spots from 15 last week. Uh, St. Louis at 18. They're one of those teams. I would still, I mean, I said it earlier on in the show. They're the scariest team to me in that Western division. If the avalanche somehow do take the number one seed, I'm going to need a, a few different paper bags because I'm sure I'm going to be hyperventilating throughout the throughout that entire series. Uh, but they are up two spots from 18 Montreal at 15. They're up two spots from 17. And like I said, they're most likely going to be the fourth seed in the North division. And then you got Winnipeg sitting at 14. They're the three seed in the North, so they will be a playoff team as well. And then Nashville, Edmonton, and the Islanders round out until we get to the top 10. This is where it gets a little bit interesting because, like, a, there's a few teams still fighting for their playoff lives in this little stretch here. I would almost say that St. Louis should be higher than Montreal and Winnipeg and Nashville. The only reason that they're not is because St. Louis has a very tough stretch of their schedule coming up. They still have to play Vegas one more, two more times, and they still have to play Minnesota two more times. And those are the two team, two teams that are ahead of them in the standings. They're done with their season series against Colorado uh, and hats off to the blues. They really outplayed the avalanche, especially in, in the second to last game of that series, it was just all downhill for Colorado from there. But I will I will say St. Louis is still – Ryan O'Reilly has that team moving in the right direction. And if Bennington gets hot, we saw what he can do three years ago when he won them the Stanley Cup. Um, so I think St. Louis should probably – I would rank St. Louis. I would trade them with New York. I would just 
move them up into that 11 spot and move, bump everybody else down. Um, now let's get into the – we'll go the, in the top 10. We'll go 10 to 6 first. Boston sitting at number 10 has a 63 points percentage. They were previously ranked 11, so they moved up one spot. Pittsburgh, strangely enough, down at number 9 after being ranked 6th last week. Minnesota at 8. They dropped one spot. Toronto at 7 after dropping two spots. And then Tampa Bay sitting at 6, also dropping two spots. Uh, not quite sure why these teams are moving around so much. We basically know who the best teams in the league are at this point. We've seen them play enough against all the all different kinds of competition, whether it's the other top teams in your division or, you know, if you're playing the Buffalo Sabres, like some teams, <clears throat> Boston and Pittsburgh, we know what you can do against really bad teams too. So I I don't agree. I think I would put Minnesota a little bit closer to the top of the top 10. I would put Pittsburgh higher than Toronto. If I'm going to say any team is a fraud right now in the top 10, it would be Toronto. I really, like I said, I don't think Toronto is going to be able to do anything to a team outside of the Canadian division. And I, I don't think anybody's going to be able to change my mind about that. The only way that that will change is if they actually do make a long playoff run. But if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan and you're going to make a, you're going to do a playoff beard with your team, probably only going to get to like a five o'clock shadow before they're knocked out of the playoffs at some point. Uh, yes, that is, I am throwing shade at you Canadians. If you're a fan of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Now let's round out the top five and we can finish up this episode of two for chirping. Starting at number five, the Florida Panthers, they are up three spots. They were ranked eighth in these power rankings last week. They still have, they only have two games left against Tampa Bay. At number four, Washington, they have uh, they just played their last game against the Rangers, and they have two more against Philadelphia, and then they finish out their season with Boston. Vegas, previously ranked number one, dropped down to number three. They have two games against St. Louis, one game against Colorado, and one game against San Jose left. Carolina at number two, they moved up one spot. They have they're playing their last game against Chicago tonight, and they got two left against Nashville. And ESPN, remember, these are the ESPN power rankings. These are not my personal power rankings, even though this spot would look the exact same. Colorado takes over the number one spot in the ESPN power rankings. This was before they lost to San Jose uh, earlier this week, so take that with a grain of salt. 720 points percentage, that is among – the top three actually so Vegas at 725 and then Carolina are the only two teams that have a higher points percentage than the Colorado Avalanche the thing about the ads that you got to remember is that they've been dealing with injuries basically the entire season McCarr Bowen Byram have been down with injuries throughout different points Philip Grubauer and Miko Rantanen were just on a two and a half week COVID break and we were playing with um I can't even remember Miska, Hunter Miska was our goaltender for a few games while Grubauer was getting rest. We were, we were almost having to play Grubauer every single game of the season. You got to remember he was leading the league in wins only because he also led the game, led the league in games played as a goaltender. Um, so the, the Avalanche are getting healthy at the right times and we're starting to see this youth wave. You know, uh, thank you to the Ottawa Senators for gifting us 
speed draft picks that we've been able to use on Kale McCarr, Bowen Byram, and just basically ever since we made that deal, ever since Joe Sackick made the deal to send Duchesne up to Ottawa, it's been nothing but clear skies and green grass for the Colorado Avalanche. It's been a couple of years of disappointing second round exits. If they're not in the final four this season, it will be a utter shame. It will be the biggest disappointment in recent Colorado sports memory. I I don't even I don't even want to talk about that because I really don't think it's going to happen. But obviously there's always that little bit of a chance. So that's the end of the power rankings. I I don't I would probably put Vegas up at number one instead of Colorado, just with the way that they played in that last game uh, last Wednesday night against the Avalanche. But really, it's splitting hairs once you get to the top three teams in the league, Carolina, Colorado and Vegas. I will say are probably the uh, favorites to win the Stanley Cup at this point. I don't put Washington up there. I'm not going to. I really don't think that they're going to even win their division. I would rather see Pittsburgh if I'm going to see a team out of the East play in the final four than uh, Washington. And like I said about Florida earlier on in this episode to start off, they're good. I just don't think it's their year yet. I don't think that they're at the point that they can really be considered a Stanley cup favorite. Quinville will get them there if they continue to give them the players to do so. But unless there's a few good years of people coming in and Quinville being able to make this a consistent team at this level, it's really going to be difficult for them to make any sort of strides and get anywhere close to the top. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I like the top three. I don't really like how they rank the rest of them. Maybe next week, that's what I'll have uh, myself and whoever I end up getting on this show do is we'll give our, it'll be the end of season power rankings leading into the playoffs. And that'll be a lot of fun. Real quickly, before we get out of here and I tell you where you can uh, follow the Unhinged Sports Network and everything going on with that, want to give a shout out to Ryan Miller, who is uh, calling it quits at the end of the season. He's retiring after his 18th year in the NHL. Truly one of the greatest American-born goaltenders that we've seen play at this level. Former silver medalist in the Olympics, him and Jonathan Quick uh, were the goaltenders back in 2014, where we know that we lost in the gold medal final to Team Canada. Um, but Ryan Miller's been one of the more consistent, especially American goalies that we've seen in recent memory for the NHL. So I wanted to give him a shout out on a great career and it's well-deserved. He's finally going to be able to hang his uh, skates and his blocker up and we'll see where he lands. Doesn't quite have the legacy that I think you probably want, but if you're a true hockey fan or if you're like me, who's kind of come to appreciate the game a little bit more, you know, what he's been able to do and the fact that he played 18 years at a very high level and was a starter for most of those 18 seasons in the NHL. He is one of the better American born hockey players that we've seen, uh, especially in the recent generation. So shout out Ryan Miller. That is going to be the end of this episode of two for chirping. Thank you everybody for tuning in. I know it was a little bit shorter this week, um, but I got to talk about everything that I wanted to. I will be back next week with a guest, hopefully whether it's Nico or, Jim possibly coming back on and we'll preview the way that the playoffs are looking and give our power rankings at the end of the season. Uh, for this show, you can catch it live every Friday during the NHL season at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And then after it'll be available on demand after Sunday night's last encore. Um, so that's where you can catch it if you missed any part of this show. 
For myself, I co-host the Far End of the Bench podcast. We are 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern every Wednesday on the Unhinged Sports Network. If you want to listen live, it's unhingedsn.airtime.pro. For this show, for Far End of the Bench, any of the shows on the Unhinged Sports Network, that's where you can listen. There's 24-7 coverage, and there's 15 different podcasts, and we also now have five network-exclusive shows. So there is always something on. If you go to that URL, you will be able to be entertained. Sports media, sports content for the sports fan, by the sports fan, is the way that we like to look at ourselves. And then be sure to follow the Unhinged Sports Network at Network Unhinged on Twitter, Unhinged SN on Instagram, unhingedsn.com is where we release our blogs. We've been having some great blogging content coming out uh, in the past few weeks, and I'm sure that we'll be having some more hockey blogs as the NHL playoffs move along. And then for myself, follow the far end of the bench at FEOTB pod on all of our social medias and be sure to check us out. Nico and myself are based out of Denver. So we're obviously a little bit skewed towards there, but we talk about the entire world of sports and uh, we talk Kentucky Derby, the masters. uh, And we also do a lot of fun content that we post on our YouTube channel, the far end of the bench. So be sure to subscribe there. Uh, We have golfing highlights for the Masters weekend, and then we also have our men's rec league team that we played in highlights on our YouTube channel as well. So be sure to check out all of that. That's going to be the end of this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's edition of Two for Chirping, and we will catch you guys next week. When the night is cold and lonely This is a dollar belt was it the money that made me a savage? Popping them pipes and I made it a habit. Towing them pistols and serving them addicts. That was exciting to me. I'm so excited to be. Started with nothing, we had to inspire the beat. Elephants again, hey to me. I'm getting to it. Feel like the man, I got the plan. I call the shooters, they out with the van. Play with the squad, get piled like a sand. Piled like a perk, I'm going here. I'm going crazy, I'm yeah, sticking up for nigga. That music, I look a sand. I'm in the kitchen, compressing the bird. Take out a nine and I sell it for me.